So it would be helpful if you had your, your Bibles open at Jonah chapter 2 as we, we take a look at this together. This is the second part of a four-part study that we're going to do looking at the book of Jonah. Just a quick recap. Last week we saw um, God's word come to Jonah. And we saw Jonah reject his commission and turn from God and try to run from God's purpose for him. But we saw, most importantly, that God was in control. Right up to the moment that we saw Jonah cast into the sea and the fish rose up and swallowed him. That God was in control. Um, The reason I read that last verse from the first chapter this time is you might have noticed that it makes quite a neat Picture, we've got the Lord, the fish, and Jonah there in that verse. And then in the final verse of um, chapter 2, we have the Lord, the fish, and Jonah again. Some commentators have referred to this as a fish sandwich. Um, I think I prefer to say it bookends um, Jonah's prayer. It bookends the rest of the chapter uh, and what Jonah has to say, which is what we're going to be looking at today. Have you ever needed to be rescued? Have you ever needed to be saved? I mean, maybe, as I was saying to the kids, you found yourself stuck up a mountain. Maybe you've been lost. Maybe it's not been quite a helicopter job, but maybe you've needed someone to come and tell you where you are and lead you home. Maybe you've been in a more serious situation. Maybe you've been in a really dangerous situation where your life has been in danger and you have needed to be rescued to be got out of there. Or maybe it's as simple as the fact that sometimes things start getting on top of us. Sometimes it might be something as simple as something we have to do and we are just not coping with us. That recipe is not as simple as it looked on TikTok. That essay is a whole lot harder than you thought it was when you put it off for two weeks. And you need help because you can't do this on your own. We've all been there, haven't we? Probably more than once. Well, we find Jonah here crying out to be rescued because Jonah needs to be rescued. What does Jonah need to be rescued from? Now, some of you are probably thinking, is this man an idiot? What does he think Jonah needs to be rescued from? Jonah has been thrown into a sea in the middle of a storm and eaten by a fish. What do you mean, what does Jonah need to be rescued from? But I'm going to suggest that it's not as straightforward as that. But that's not what Jonah really needs to be rescued from. And I'm hoping that as we look at the chapter and as we work through it, that will make some sense. And we'll come to see that there's more that Jonah needs rescued from. There's more going on. For for the sake of structure, I'm going to look at something that kind of happens in Jonah's prayer, where it starts off talking about going down. And then we have coming up. So that's going to be our, if you like, our headings, our two headings, our two sections, going down and coming up. So in terms of going down, we saw a little bit of that last week when we looked at chapter one. We saw this this trajectory developing, didn't we? We saw that um, as God tells Jonah to get up, right away things start going wrong when instead Jonah starts going down. He goes down to Joppa, he goes down to the ship, he goes down below decks. Well, in these verses in in chapter 2, we see that trajectory continuing, this going down. But where in chapter 1, the threat in the going down was kind of implicit, it wasn't right there in front of us. Now it's much more obvious that this going down is trouble and that it is dangerous. 
Jonah starts his prayer by talking about his circumstances after he was thrown in the water. And he uses some really evocative language. There's some powerful images being used here and going on here. And a lot of it is very, very similar to the language of the Psalms, which Jonah would have been familiar with. And I'm sure they informed his choice of language. But let it flow over you for a little while. Look at it. Think about what he's saying. And just for a moment, let yourself feel something of what Jonah felt at that moment. As he went down, he went down, he went down into the sea. So the water is dragging you down, dragging you under as it closes above your head and it starts pressing in on you. And you are in deep, deep darkness. And you get into the depths of the ocean. You can't see a thing because it is dark down there. And there's clinging seaweed and it's wrapping itself around you and it's tightening around you. You can feel that tightening and you can feel it closing and you sink further and you sink further and you keep sinking until it feels like you have gone so low that you are barred in by the roots of the mountains. Like you've been swallowed by the earth itself, like the grave has swallowed you. What we have there is, it's a poetic description of what was literally happening to Jonah. But it is all the more evocative for being symbolic of his spiritual condition too. Because in this dreadful experience, as Jonah sinks physically, as he physically goes under, he gets a glimpse of just how far he has sunk spiritually. And it was a result of this realization, it was a result of this distress that Jonah finally cries out to the Lord. Now on the one hand, it's really good that he does that. It's good that he cries out to the Lord. But on the other hand, it's, it's actually a bit shocking that this is what it's taken. I mean, think about it. Way, way back at the beginning of chapter 1. The word that we have here in verse 2 where Jonah says he cried to the Lord, he called on the Lord. It's very, very closely related to the word that we have in the second verse of this book, right at the start, where he is told to cry out over Nineveh. So it starts our story with God saying to Jonah, cry out. And Jonah refuses. He will not do it. Then again, during the storm, the sailors plead with Jonah to cry out to his God as the boat threatens to come apart under them. No, still nothing from this so-called servant of the Lord. Still no crying out. Then comes the, the climax of the first chapter. As the sailors are throwing Jonah overboard, they call out to the Lord for mercy. They cry out to God, but still nothing from Jonah. It takes this, it takes this experience of drowning, this desperate terror, terror of, of falling into crushing darkness. It takes this to convince Jonah that maybe, just maybe, it's time to call on God. Because you see, it wasn't drowning that Jonah needed rescued from. And it wasn't the fish. 
Because in some respects, the drowning experience, it was part of the rescue. Sounds weird, but it was. The storm, the drowning, the fish, all of these were part and parcel of God rescuing Jonah. Because Jonah's problem started long before he hit the sea. Jonah's problem started the minute he got up and ran away. The minute he chose his own path over God's. From that moment, he was going down. He was going under. And the same is true for us. Last week I said that, that trying to deny God's purpose for us takes us in a downward spiral, in a downward direction. And here, Jonah realizes the stark truth of where that goes, of where it takes us. Because if we're honest, we often think we know better than God, don't we? Is there anybody here who can honestly say they've never thought that? We have our own ideas about where we want to go and how we want to do things. We want to be free to be our own masters. Yes, freedom. Freedom to be who I am. That's the big rallying cry these days. Well, we should be thankful that up until now, God has not let you do that. Not really, he hasn't. See, when you try to do that, when you start doing that, you tangle yourselves up in other things. Other things will wrap around you like the seaweed. And sometimes you might think that these things are serving you, that you are chasing them because you want them, because your life is better for having them. But that's not really true. They're not serving you. Because they'll wrap around you and they'll pull you down further and further into the darkness. Because we give them too much place in our lives. We give them God's place. So all the things that you think are rescuing you, whether it's your family, your work, good things like that, relationships, whether it's neutral things like entertainment, or whether it's things like drugs or booze that you go to hide behind, they are not rescuing you. And they cannot rescue you. And if you try to let them, they will entrap you and they will drag you under. Look at what Jonah says in verse 8. He says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Or in some translations it will say, turn away from God's love for them. All the things that you give priority to, if you are letting them take God's place, whatever else they are, they are idols. And trusting in these things to rescue you, it's like a drowning man who won't let go of his favorite anvil. Now that's a ridiculous image, isn't it? And I choose it precisely because it is. Who would do that? Who would cling on to an anvil? as they struggled to stay above the surface. That's what we do. And there's actually, the book of Jonah is full of irony. And one of the really delicious ironies is here. Jonah talks about peoples who bow down to idols. Now Jonah thinks he's talking about foreigners. Pagans, heathens, other nations. The kind of people who bow down to idols. But... At this point in history, do you know what Jonah's people, what the nation of Israel were doing as part of their worship? 
They claimed to be worshipping the Lord, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, but they were bowing down to golden calves as Jonah was condemning idolaters. He would have done that himself at some point. They claim to be worshipping God, but they're bowing down to idols. And we do that. We say we're worshipping God, but we don't do it his way. We have better ideas. We have things that we think are more important. We're bowing down to idols. And what does Jonah say? We forfeit the grace that could be ours. We turn our backs on God's love. So we have to think about what our idols are. What are our idols as a church, as a nation, as a community, as people? What are your idols? What are the things that you are clinging to, even though they're pulling you down? Because here's a terrifying thing. Here's the thing that Jonah's experience as he sinks into the stormy sea gives him just a taste of, gives him just a hint of. We turn away from God's love when we turn to idols. Why? Well, we said it already. People want to be free. We want to be free to go our own way. We want to be free from God. We want to be free from the constraints of religion. You can't tell me who I am and how to live my life. We don't want God anymore. That's our cry these days. That's what people say, whether they realize it or not, whether they put it into words like that or not. When we try and live our own ways, we are saying we don't want you. But God looks and he says, oh, my children, you don't know what you're asking for. You do not know what you are saying. Because so many people today want to cut God out of their lives. And some might even think they've managed. But we should thank God. And I mean that literally. We should thank God that in this life, that is never so. Because, do you know, the Bible has a word for being finally free from God. There is a place you can go to be finally free from God. It's hell. Because people have the wrong idea about hell these days. Hell is not a punishment that's dished out by a petty God whose pride has been hurt because we've rejected him. Hell is not a place that some tyrant God will force you to go to if you don't show him enough respect. Hell is eternity separated from God. It's what you're running towards if you're running away from him. And Jonah gets just a taste of what that might be like here. Just a sample. His drowning, his time in the belly of the fish, they're a picture of where running away from God leads. So many people today think we live in a world without God. Words like hellish and God forsaken get thrown around very casually. And Honestly, some of the situations that they're describing are horrific. Some of them are horrendous. But none of us really understand what it is to be, what it would be like to be completely forsaken by God. Even when we might feel pretty far from him, even when things are horrific, when they are horrendous, he has not forsaken us. 
Because even in the worst of times, we all shelter under his hand. Whether we believe in him or not, he does not allow, he does not allow the world to be out of his protection. For now. Because there will come a time when he will say to those who continue to reject him, not, I'm going to punish you for this, but when he will say, have it your way. Here's what you asked for. Verse 4, Jonah says, um, if you look at it with me, he says, I have been banished from your sight. Yet, I have been banished from your sight. That's the horror that brings him to his senses. Separation from God. Now, of course, there's more irony here, because this is the book of Jonah. And it shows us that while Jonah is making some progress, he still has a bit to go to really understand it. He says he's been banished. I mean, literally, he says he's been banished from before your eyes. Really? Because back in chapter 1, remember, Jonah ran away from before the face of God. Banished, are you? This so-called banishment was what Jonah had been trying to achieve in the first place. But now he gets a taste of it. Now, just for a moment, he gets to see how horrific it is to be away from God's face. But things are not hopeless. I'm not leaving us here. Jonah doesn't leave us here. God, more importantly, doesn't leave us here. Because in the middle of verse 6, we see things start to turn around. Verse 6 is a kind of a key pivotal verse here. We read there, To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit. O Lord my God. Here we see the switch in direction. Jonah stops going down. And the trajectory is turned around as God starts to bring him back up. Just as he starts to feel like he is going to be down here forever. He finally starts coming up. Have you ever been given a timeout? Maybe as parents, some of us have had to give timeouts. Timeout where basically a period where things stop. Where you're taken out of the flow, you step out of the flow, and you are given time to get things settled, to maybe clear your head, to maybe think about your actions, for things to calm down, to take a look, to get some perspective. In a lot of ways, that's what this time in the belly of the fish was for Jonah. It was a three-day timeout. And he seems to have gotten a sense of perspective while he was in there. He's been at a really low ebb. He's been fairly sure he was going to die, I would imagine. He's tasted death. He's come to the point where he thinks it's all over. And he's had a foretaste of existence without God and what that would be like. And he comes to his senses and he's cried out to God. And do you know what? God hears him. Jonah spoke about being shut off from God. But it's obvious that God still hears him. In verse 7, Jonah says that he remembered the Lord. But the key takeaway from this is that the Lord never forgot Jonah. 
Jonah may have felt like he was no longer before God's eyes, but God was still watching over him and God was still listening. And when Jonah says that his prayer reached the temple, rose to the temple, he's, he's probably not talking about the physical temple. He's probably not talking about the building in Jerusalem. Um, we can be reasonably sure of that because at this time the nation was divided. Jonah was from the northern kingdom of Israel. The temple was in Judah in the southern kingdom. Jonah would not have been a regular visitor. But it would seem from, from the, the language and from the history that Jonah was thinking about something else. Because the temple is God's dwelling place. And the temple on earth was just a representation of that. It pointed towards God's much greater dwelling, to God's throne room in heaven. So even as Jonah had rejected God's commission, even as Jonah had said no and tried to put distance between himself and God's will, even as Jonah felt shut off from God, his prayers go up into God's throne room where they are heard. From down in the depths, from so far down that he feels like he's in the grave, to God's throne, his prayers go and are heard. That is incredible. Because he was about as far away from the heavenly throne as you could possibly expect to get. In his words, in his own words, he was in the grave. He was in the land of the dead. And God heard him. And sometimes you might feel like God won't be able to hear you. You might feel like you are too far away from God, like there are too many barriers, maybe of your own making, maybe from your circumstances. You might feel that God won't be able to hear you. But just like Jonah, just because you feel far from him doesn't mean he isn't right there alongside you. It doesn't mean that he doesn't hear you. No matter how low you get, no matter how dark it feels, no matter if, to use the language of Psalm 116, it feels like the cords of death are wrapped around you and the anguish of the grave has come over you and you are overcome by distress and sorrow. God will hear you if you call to him. He has not let you go any more than he had let Jonah go. And do you notice, do you notice what Jonah had to do to put things right with God? What Jonah had to do to earn his way back into God's favour? Nothing. Not a thing. Jonah cries out, God responds. There's no deal-making. There's no quid pro quo. God doesn't extract a promise from Jonah to try a little bit harder and do a little bit better next time. Jonah cries out and God responds. Any subsequent change that we see in Jonah will be a response of thankfulness, not the price he pays to be saved. So when he says in verse 9, I with a song of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good, He's not saying that's the price of his rescue. He's not saying, if you rescue me, then I'll do that. 
Because if we look at the language Jonah's using here, he's not looking forward so much, looking forward to a time in the future when God will save him. He is praising God now because he is saved. And he's still in the fish. Even from the belly of the fish. So in most ways, his circumstances haven't actually changed, have they? The circumstances that brought him to this realization haven't changed. Not physically. He's not out of the fish yet. But now he recognizes God's hand. He recognizes that God still has him in the palm of his hand. Even in this low place that he is in, he is able to say that God has lifted him from the pit. The pit, which in Hebrew poetry and in the Psalms particularly is a synonym for death, for the grave, for disaster. So when he talks about what he's going to do, when he talks about his praises and his sacrifices, that is joyful anticipation. Salvation is unearned and it is unconditional. But the response ought to be praise. If we look at what else he says in that verse, he says, salvation comes from the Lord or salvation belongs to the Lord. What Jonah is recognizing here is actually the key to unlocking this whole story. And in fact, in a lot of ways, it's the key to unlocking the Bible. God saves. God alone. And he saves those who he chooses. Not those who have earned it. Not those who have done enough to get the I've been saved badge. He saves those he chooses. Salvation is from God. It belongs to God. And it is his prerogative and his alone. So that being the case, where does that leave us today? It's all very well talking about Jonah and the fish. But what about us? What about you? Where are you? Maybe you're flailing in the sea. Maybe you're trying to keep your head above water and it feels like you're always having to tread water as hard as you can just to keep breathing. And you're wondering what just happened and how you got here. And you're desperately holding on to the things that you hold dear. Maybe you've gone beyond that. Maybe you feel like the waters have closed over your head for the last time. Maybe you can't draw breath anymore. Maybe you're well aware of the weeds tightening around you as the currents drag you down and down and down. Maybe you feel like you've sunk about as far as you can go. There's nothing around you but darkness anymore. You're cut off from any light and you feel hopeless. You feel forsaken. You feel like you've been swallowed. Or maybe you've been pulled aside. Maybe you're having your time out moment. Perhaps you have been, metaphorically, you are in the belly of the fish. Because that was probably actually far more peaceful than being in the water. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you've been given time to take stock. Time to realize how lost you would be without God's protective hand. Maybe you're still on the boat. Maybe you think things are just fine and you're, you're largely ignorant of the danger that you're in. Because you're on a boat and it's out there. Maybe you've not had that warning taste yet. Maybe you haven't had that clarity yet of just how 
terrible, I can't think of a better word than that, just how horrendous life without God would be. So what do you do from here? Where do you go? Salvation comes from the Lord. Okay. But how does that work for us right now, right here, in Fife in the early 21st century? What does it mean? Well, basically, that's the Bible in a nutshell. Salvation comes from the Lord. If we go right back to the beginning of the Bible, if we look at the book of Genesis, where Adam and Eve turn their backs on God and decide to go their own way, God tells them that there are consequences for doing that. But he also provided a solution. He provided a rescue plan, a salvation scheme, if you like. And that centered around someone. Someone who was going to come and who was going to defeat evil. And then through the whole arc of the Old Testament, that promise forms the core of the narrative until we reach a point where someone is born. Someone whose name literally means the Lord is salvation. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 says, this is the angel speaking to Joseph. She will give birth to a son. and You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. It sounds like just a fairly simple statement, doesn't it? Jesus, the Lord is salvation. That's what that means. Salvation is the Lord's. The Lord is salvation. Jesus he will rescue his people from their sins. He is the rescue plan. There isn't another. There's no alternative option. There's no plan B. There's no alternate route. There is only Jesus. Because we have two choices. We keep running. We keep wanting to get away from God until the day he finally lets us. We keep going down. Or we recognize our need. And hopefully we do it with a little bit less drama than was necessary to bring Jonah to his senses. We recognize our need and we call out from wherever we are. We don't wait to get back to dry land. We do it from where we are. We call out to the Lord who saves. So that he can stop our spiral down. And he can lift us and that's something we need to keep doing. Even as Christians, we will keep making mistakes and we will keep going the wrong way. Jonah was already a prophet. And he still made this mistake. So we need to keep crying out to God to keep lifting us up and to keep us following him. Now when Jonah cried out, he knew assurance. He was able to praise and to look forward to the time when he would continue praising God. He gave praise from the moment he cried out because he knew. How much more assurance can we have today? He didn't know anything about Jesus. He knew that God had promised that he would save, but he didn't know how it was going to work. We can look at Jesus on the cross. We talked about Jonah thinking he was forsaken. We talked about how we can sometimes feel forsaken. Well, Jesus is the only person who could ever truly say, 
that he was forsaken by God. As he held our sins on the cross and knew God's wrath in our place. And then what did he do? He came back up. He went down into the grave and he came back up to show us that he had power over death, that he was the one who had been promised and that he could bring his people back up and take us home. So if Jonah could know assurance in the belly of the fish, how much more can we know today looking to Jesus? Don't wait till you're on dry land. Don't wait until the storm is over. Don't wait until you've got everything sorted. And don't trust in anything else. Wherever you are right now, call out to Jesus and call out with that kind of expectation that enables you to say, I will praise him. Because we can trust that he will stop us going down and he will bring us back up when we call to him.